Please turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We have been explaining, actually Paul has, we're just trying to, we're trying to decipher what Paul is saying to us concerning the church. His first and the first three chapters allowed us to understand who God is in our lives, who God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is in each of our lives, and how secure we are because of His love for us. And what Paul is trying to do is set the standard of what the church looks like. Remember, this letter, this book of, of, of Ephesians, is, is not a, a, a book or a letter that was to go to one church. It was what is called a circular letter. It went from church to church to church to church in the area so that all of the churches would understand the blessings that we have in, in Christ, who we are, but more importantly, who God is in our lives and how secure we are. And also Paul is trying to teach us what the church is like. What is it that functions within the church? And we are going to see in the time to come that the church is really a group of people who have been trusted and believed in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Therefore, the moment they have given their heart to the Lord, He immediately gives each and every single one of us a gift. And the gift that He gives us is to use within the body of Christ so as to uh, equip one another, so as to build each other up, help us mature in our faith, and also ultimately to build up the body of Christ, to build up God's body called the church. And so in all of this, Paul has, getting, has gotten to the place that he is going to show us how the church functions, how it really was established, what is the, the very essence of each and every church. And he is going to mention four specific areas, and that is one of, a, of an apostle, another who is a prophet, another who is an evangelist, and another who is a pastor-teacher. And he says that these gifts were given to the church as God so desired to allow the church to become what we are. What we are going to learn from this particular place in Scripture in Ephesians chapter 4, only verses 11 and 12, is that we cannot tinker with what God has established. That is a a misnomer for so many churches to try to reconstruct and reconfigure what the, what the very essence of the church is about. There is but one head. There is but one foundation. There is but one cornerstone. That is none other than Jesus Christ. And He has established this function, this body of believers that we call a church, and he laid this foundation through the apostles and the prophets who came before us. Now, why is that so important? Well, it's extremely important because they gave us specific things that we are to center our hearts upon as we come together and gather together as a church. There is a reason we gather together. And each each particular gift was given this gift so as to lay down this foundation that we stand upon today. And we cannot alter it. We have not that right. But I want you to see it from, from God's eyes, from God's heart, as Paul writes to us. Last week we saw in verses 8, 9, and 10 a very important passage. 
And it was, it was how Jesus Christ was given the right, the authority, if you would, to give the gifts to the church as he so sees fit. If you remember, uh, we, we, we studied in verses 8, 9, and 10, because of our Lord's descent into, into the earth and his ascent back into heaven itself, we see that Paul allows us to know that he has the right and the authority to give whatever he wants to give to whomever he wants to give. And so Paul lets us know <clears throat> that Jesus Christ wishes to gift the church. Look at verse 7 for, each one, for, for uh, instance. It says, But to each one, every single one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Each one of us who come to believe in Jesus Christ have received a, a spiritual gift to use within the body of Christ. And since Paul is laying the rock-solid foundation of what does the church look like built upon the very essence of Jesus Christ, we've already seen this. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 through 23, I think it is. Yes. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 to 22, we are told that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And that Jesus Christ is our foundation and our cornerstone. Therefore, in Ephesians chapter 4, starting with verse 11, because of who God, who Jesus Christ is in verses 8, 9, and 10, given the authority to do what He does, Paul announces the leadership of the church. How it all began. And he mentions four areas. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor, teachers. All given for one purpose in mind. And that is to equip you and me. So that we might do the work of service. So that we might build up the body of Christ. It's amazing how God has given you and me a, a tremendous responsibility. And that is to help build up His body called the church. Which in whom He he absolutely loves. He loves the church. As he does marriage, by the way. Those are the two uh, ordinances, if you would, that God has established for this day. The church in marriage. That's, that is a standard that God has set apart. And I thought it was very interesting that Melissa said that, that, that the study we're going to do is, is, is marriage is given not for us to, to be happy, but to, to be holy which gives me a real good perspective on now what I go through as a husband. No? Yeah. See? Not to make me happy. It's to make me a holy individual. And I think my wife is doing a, an excellent job at that. I'm, I'm really teasing. But the truth of the matter is, there is absolutely nothing. Now, for those who are single, God has a, a place for those of you who are single and have been called to being single. And you shouldn't allow any pressures to make you feel uneasy in that state or not a part of the church. There is a, a gift of singleness, just as there is a, a, any other gifts. And for those of you who are single, well, let me talk to you, those of us who are married. For goodness sakes, leave the single people alone. If they don't want to be dating, don't say, I got someone just perfect for you. They don't want someone perfect for them at this moment. Let them tell you, can you find someone perfect for me? Then you go find them someone perfect. Leave the singles alone. They are called by God to their singleness. And they don't need our pressure to find uh, someone that they might be dating or 
happy with. No, God has a place for every single one of us. Read with me just two verses, but power-packed verses. And we must take a look at them. We must take a look at these gifts that God has given to us. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. It says, And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastor and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. I would encourage you to get to know these two verses, especially verse 12. And then, and then the whole essence of the church begins. But we will talk about that at a different time. Today, let's see what is our rock-solid foundation. Why we do what we do here at the Rock Community Church. Why we study the Bible as we do. Let's pray first. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time of worship and this time of praise and this time of gathering together, Father, and lifting up your holy and righteous name. We sang, Father, praises to you and to your Son. We sang praises from our hearts so that we might worship you in that fashion. We even, Father, gave a portion of the, the finances that you gave to us. And we gave a portion back to you as we saw fit. As that we saw that we could, we could handle as we gave to you what you have given to us. And now, Father, we come to do what is perhaps of, of the, the most importance because this is what makes everything fall into its place. And that is, we've come now to study your word. Because without the knowledge of your word, all the other things that we do, Father, would not have its purpose as it's meant to be. We need to know why you've asked us to do what we do. We need to know who it is that you are and why, Father God, this 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 gathering together that we have as with one another is so important in your mind and in your heart that you gave us the church and you gave apostles and prophets to lay a foundation and evangelists and pastor and teachers to come afterwards. And Father, please teach us. Please move me aside, I beg of you, dear Father. Allow us to hear from your heart would you, Father, open up our eyes that we might behold wonderful things from your law. We pray these things in the most precious name that we know, and that is the name of our Lord and our Savior, your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Wow. I sure do love our Lord, and I sure do love you folks. Verse 11 as we mentioned last week, Jesus Christ gave. The word gave there announces that it is His sovereign will to give out the gifts as He so wills or as He so desires. In fact, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7, 11, 18, and you don't need to look at it unless you would like to, and verse 28 we are told specifically that God gives out gifts just as He so desires. To each and every single one of us, He gives out gifts 
for the common good of the body, it says in verse 7 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And in verses 11 and 18, it says, as he so wills or as he so desires. And so when it says that Jesus Christ gave, that's the very purpose of what he done. He chose who he would give the gifts to. And so we learn in verse 11 that God gave gifts to the leadership of his church as he established it, along with other gifts. In verse 28 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says, God has appointed to the church. Now watch. First, it even mentions, Paul writes, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts, then healings, then helps, then administrations, and then various kinds of tongues. You see, when it is mentioned in that fashion, it only adds weight to God's calling out the leadership within the church in the order that He so desires it, which He deemed as important. Now, because there were apostles and because there were prophets and and because there are evangelists and pastor teachers does not diminish your and my gift. I know, it's hard. It's hard on me because I, I... some of the things I'm going to be saying, I, I am a pastor teacher. I, I, I'll give you that. That is a gift that God has given to me. But it, it intimidates me to try to put me in that position. I would rather be amongst us. I, I like being the common person. I, I like being a part of this body and not being distinguished or set apart. But what God does, God will do. And I accept what He does in my life. But I want to be one of you more than you'll ever know. And so the other gifts, the gifts that he gives within the body of Christ, they are all of great importance. Otherwise, God wouldn't have given it to you and me. He deemed the gifts that he has given to you as as of great importance. Therefore, he wants you and me to be vitally used within this body that he calls the church so that we might equip one another, so that we might do the work of service that, that God has given us to do within this body of believers so that we might, by the grace of an almighty God, build up the body of Christ. That's our privilege. And so the first gift that we see noted, given by Paul, here in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11, is the gift of an apostle. That is better stated as one who is sent. An apostle was was someone who moved from area to area. In a moment I will explain this, but it was that is much like what is today's gift of evangelism. To move from one area to another. An evangelist, uh, like uh, Billy Graham, for lack of anyone else to explain. And we will explain in a moment. The qualifications, though, of an apostle was that that person was to be directly chosen by Jesus Christ and they were also to be a witness of His resurrection. In Mark chapter 13, or excuse me, in Mark chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, it said that Jesus Christ went up to the mountain and then He summoned those whom He Himself wanted and they came to Him. Consequently, it was the twelve. He appointed the twelve, the apostles, and that they would be with Him, and that He could send them out to preach. In Acts chapter 1, verses 22 to 24, we are told, beginning with the baptism of John, until the day when He, Jesus Christ, was taken up from us, 
one of these, talking about an apostle, must become a witness with us of his resurrection. That, that was a de- decision that God made. A person who was to be an apostle had to witness the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now Paul was the last apostle to meet this biblical requirement. Today, today, within the church today, it is not possible for there to be apostles within the church. That gift has passed away. It passed away with the completion of the New Testament and it passed away with the death of the twelve apostles. Now originally there were twelve apostles. When Judas fell, they chose Matthias. Later on, Paul was directly chosen by Jesus Christ himself to be an apostle. In Romans chapter 1, verse 1, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul calls himself a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called as an apostle. So under the inspiration, Paul says he was an apostle. There are other though men in the scriptures that are, are mentioned as apostles. I'll give you some of the names. Barnabas was. Silas was, Timothy was, and you're probably saying to yourself, I thought there were supposed to be 12, but with the addition of Matthias after Judas died and then Paul, that would be 13, and now you just numbered out 14, 15, and 16, just to mention a few. Let me tell you the distinction, and it's clear if you'll study the Bible clearly enough. These men, Barnabas, Silas, Timothy, these other men who were called apostles in the Bible, were apostles or messengers of the church. Every time they are mentioned, they are called apostles of the church. For instance, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 23. As for Titus, Paul writes, he's my partner. He's my fellow worker among you. As for our brethren, they are messengers and apostles of the churches. A glory to Christ. Whereas the original twelve, when they are mentioned as apostles, they are called not apostles of the church, but apostles of Jesus Christ. And that's the distinction. That's the difference. There are others who are mentioned as apostles within the New Testament, but the true twelve, if you would, thirteen with with Paul, they are apostles of Jesus Christ. And they were set apart and authenticized, is that the right way? They were given the authority to, to show that they were apostles by doing signs and wonders and miracles. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12, Paul writes, The sign of a true apostle was performed among you with all perseverance, and it says by how? By signs and wonders and miracles. These signs were given to them from God for when they went into a new community, when they they went in and told people, thus saith the Lord, and someone else could come alongside of them and say, oh yeah, I know, I'll tell you, thus saith the Lord. 
how to distinguish between the true statement from God and the false statement was the true apostles would there therefore do a sign, a miracle, a wonder to prove that they were speaking from God Almighty. And this position, an apostle, was not passed along to others who came after them. They didn't have a right to say, well, let me train you up to be an apostle. That wasn't a choice that they could make. Only God could appoint an apostle. In fact, the last we hear of a true apostle is found in the book of Acts, the 16th chapter. And after these men died off, there is no record of an apostle being replaced. That office, the apostle ceased. It died with them. Remember now, these men were apostles and they traveled from place to place to spread the very word of God and to give the authority of what God spoke to each church. Second gift mentioned in verse 11 is the gift of a prophet. A prophet was, as we will explain in a moment more, was someone who stayed in one place and was taught there the very essence and the word of God. These men, prophets, were also appointed by God and specially gifted men. This gift, by the way, there is a gift of prophecy in the New Testament. Someone might have the gift of prophecy. Perhaps I do. The gift of prophecy is to be able to proclaim the Word of God. Be able to pray, proclaim the Word of God in such a fashion that it's understandable. One of the, one of the finest gifts and in, in, in compliments that, that any of you have ever given to me is when you'll say, Whoa, <clears throat> I've read this place in Scripture before that we're going through, and it always just didn't seem to click. It didn't seem to make sense to me. And all of a sudden, what you taught us today, that made sense. There's, there's one thing you should thank God for about me, and that is that I'm not so smart. And so when I can understand it, most of us will be able to understand it too. And the reason I study as diligently as I do, and as, as, as long and hard as I do, is to be able to explain something in such a fashion that we all might understand it. And so one of the finest compliments I've ever received from the pulpit, from any of you, is that, wow, that made sense to me today. I've read it before, and it's kind of gone over my head but now i think i understand what god is saying to me that's what that's the gift of prophecy but the gift of a prophet that's a whole another issue the prophet was the one who who gave god's message in one place to study closely the gift of an apostle versus the gift of a prophet is very interesting it seems that, as you study, an apostle was given to many churches. It was much like a traveling missionary, if you would. Whereas a prophet was one who exclusively worked within a local church, and he stayed put there. For instance, it's a, it's a very wonderful study, but Paul did his ministry when he was in Antioch. When he was in Antioch, he stayed there for three years, the Bible tells us. In Acts chapter 13 and verse 1, he is referred there in Antioch as a prophet. Isn't that interesting? He's not referred to as an apostle. In fact, it says in Acts 13:1, talking about Paul and others, there were at Antioch, in the church that was there, prophets and teachers. 
doesn't mention apostles. Isn't that interesting? And then it mentions Barnabas and Simeon and Niger and Lucius, I believe, and Manium. I don't know. And also it mentions Saul, Paul, who was referred to in Antioch as a prophet because he stayed there in one place. But if you'll note, whenever it mentions Paul, when he moved from place to place, he was there then, then and therefore called an apostle. I hope this is not confusing you because it is important when you see the other gifts that are mentioned in verse 11, evangelists and pastor teachers. Now watch this. When a prophet spoke for God, their message was only to be judged by an apostle. A prophet was to be judged by an apostle and not the other way around. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 37, if anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, Paul writes, let him recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandments. In other words, he is saying, as an apostle, I take precedence over every other person on the face of this earth, even a prophet. Now, as you well know, because we studied it if you've been with us for any length of time, when we were studying through the book of Acts, we were going through it, and when we got to, I don't know, the 20th or the 21st chapter, I don't remember exactly, we turned around and came back to Acts chapter 2, because we thought it was important that you and I know what does the church look like? What does the true church establish? What does it look like? And we saw in Acts chapter 2, in verses 42 to 47, that it was the apostles. It was the apostles that gave us the Word of God so as to guide us and lead the church. In fact, Peter said in Acts chapter uh, 2, verse 42, he says, talking to the, the people who had just accepted Christ in Jerusalem, he says, I want you to continually devote yourselves to the apostles' teachings. Because it was the apostles' teachings that established the church and gave it its rock-solid foundation. It, it gave them, and now you and me, an understanding of what does the church look like? Why do we study the Word of God? We are to continually devote ourselves, people, to the teaching of the apostles. Like the apostles... The office of prophet stopped at the completion of the New Testament and when they died off, the prophets. And they were not to appoint other prophets once these men died. There is no mention in Scripture of these two gifted offices, apostles or prophets, being replaced by any other people. Look back at Ephesians chapter 2. Let me, let me just... Clarify it for us, or let the Lord do it. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verse 20 and 21. It explains the church. In verse 20 it says, Having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom, it says in verse 21, the whole building is being fitted together, growing into a holy temple in the Lord. You see, this is extremely important for you and me. Once the foundation of the church had been laid, once the apostles and the prophets set forth the very essence of the church, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, 
then the work of an apostle and the work of the prophet was finished, completed. Then, then the evangelists and the pastor-teacher's ministries began. In fact, it appears that the office of an evangelist and a pastor-teacher picked up the baton, if you would, from the office of an apostle and a prophet. And then and there, once the prophets and the apostles were completed in their ministry, in their work, and they died off, then the evangelists and pastor-teachers took over. And they then built upon the foundation that Jesus Christ, our cornerstone, laid by the hands and the minds and the very ideas of the prophets and the apostles who spoke from God and God only. So, what you and I see is that you and I, whether we're an evangelist or a pastor teacher, have no right to change what has been laid down before us. That's why it, it just scares me. It, utter, it really scares me when I hear of seeker-friendly churches and churches that, that ask us not to bring our Bibles into the sanctuary. Let's not offend anybody. Let's talk about more current affairs rather than the Word of God. As you're going to see in a moment, the very job of a pastor-teacher is to study the Word of God so as to equip you and me. So we become a part of the family of God and do what God has called us to do. Remember Paul's words. It just amazes me. It's in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6, 7, and 8. Paul had already set the foundation, one of the apostles, and he said, I am amazed. He starts off this in Galatians 1, verse 6. I am amazed, he says, that you are so quickly deserting Him who has called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. He says in verse 27, which is not really another, there's not really another gospel. There are only some, he says, who are trying to disturb you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Look at any, any preacher that is worth his weight in salt ought to get scared when he reads something like that and decides, let's do something different within the church. Let's, let's change up the very essence of, of what we've been called to do, to be continually devoting ourselves to the apostles' teachings. You see, once the foundation was laid by Jesus Christ and the called out apostles and prophets that he called, then no one, no one, no one was to come in to, to disturb or distort that rock-solid foundation that was laid by these men. And it is the same foundation that you and I have today within church. And we will have it forevermore, period. It's not ever to change. As a pastor, I have absolutely no right to stand before you and to add or subtract one iota from the Word of God. That's why when we study here, we study line upon line, word upon word. That's why when we go through the Bible here, we don't try to duck and hide. We try to study every portion of it. In fact, last week, after I got through studying verses 8, 9, and 10, someone came to me, in fact, more than just one person, a few said, thank you. I had always wondered what that meant. It now makes sense to me that you, you, you made mention that that's given there so that we would see that Jesus Christ has the authority 
to give out the gifts as he so desires. And let me tell you something. I didn't know what that meant when I went into it either. I had to study. And you ask any of these young guys that we are now trying to train up to be a future pastor in a church, and hopefully maybe even this particular church, you ask them, in fact, they have said to me often, you know, when, when we've given them the assignment, when Pastor West gives them an assignment to, to teach in our men's group or to teach in another place, after they study, I, haven't, I, I, I asked Brent this last night and he confirmed it because he came to me and said, man, that, that was hard. That's hard work. How do you do that every week? And, and I say, yeah, it, it's extremely hard work because the weight falls on us the, the weight the weight falls on us about about the responsibility of, of passing along to you the truth of the word of god i have absolutely no right to to alter it in any degree and so it, it is a it is a burden if you would but a wonderful blessing of a burden to study and you people have given me the the blessings of taking this big nose and sticking it in my bible and studying every week so that I would come and teach you what is, as far as I can understand it, the truth of the Word of God. So that, let's go real quickly, the next mentioned gift is evangelist. Evangelist is the one who proclaims the good news or the gospel of Jesus Christ. An evangelist, by his nature, as you and I well know, travels from town to town to town to town, just like an apostle did. One of the examples would have been Philip in Acts chapter 8. It says those who were scattered, they went abroad or they went about preaching the word of God. And in Philip, after he led that Ethiopian eunuch to, to believe in Jesus Christ and after he baptized him, we are told in verse 40 that Philip, it is told, kept preaching the gospel in all the cities. He, he wasn't there anymore with the eunuch. He, he left and he went elsewhere. He was an evangelist. He moved on. In Acts chapter 21, verse 8, Philip is called Philip the Evangelist. Evangelist is to simply proclaim salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. That's why Billy Graham, if you've ever listened to, to his messages, his messages over the years sound the same. He has been faithful to preach the good news of Jesus Christ over and over again, and not in one place. I don't know this for a fact, but I believe when he goes back to his own home, he's not the pastor of a church there. and He sits in the congregation just like any all of us would. And the preacher there is the, the pastor-teacher, and he's one of the members. But when he goes out, he's an evangelist to bring the good news of Christ. And then to plant the people who come to Christ into a, a Bible-believing church. And then the evangelist moves on to the next town and he leaves these people with the pastor-teacher. And from that point, in verse 4, we see that is, there is now a person that our Lord appoints to the churches. And that is the pastor-teacher. Pastor, translated in the Greek, P-O-I-M-E-N, it means to shepherd. It emphasizes the care and the protection and the leadership over the body of Christ. A pastor-teacher is one who stays in one place and doesn't move from 
place to place and town to town. The word teacher in that connection is a longer Greek word, D-I-D-A-S-K-A-L-O-I. It has to do with the very primary function of being a shepherd, and that is simply and always to teach. The word and in the Greek in between pastor and teacher is better translated that is. Pastor, that is, teacher. So the teacher explains what the pastor does. These two words, pastor, teachers, fit together. And that's why here at this church, we don't, we don't mince anything. We, we tell you the word of God. And now I understand so deeply why I don't travel, why I don't like to go other places. I don't want to miss being with you. I absolutely love you. Listen, I, I have been asked, I know it sounds bizarre, I've been asked to be on television. Can you believe this nose on TV? They've asked me to preach the Word of God on an ongoing basis. And I said, no, I don't want to spend an extra moment and time studying to preach another message to another place when I can spend that time teaching us here at this church. That's my call upon this church. That's my desire. And I understand now more and more and more why I don't like to travel. In fact, yesterday I went to buy a phone. My other phone broke. And the guy was selling me a phone. Really a nice guy. I liked him. Brian invited him here to church. And, and, and he said, here's a phone that you might like because when, when you travel, it travels and you, you, can, you can use it overseas. And I, I said, thanks. I said, you just eliminated one of my decisions. I don't have to make a decision on this phone anymore. Show me something that's local. And we did. We bought a nice, inexpensive phone that I don't have to worry about all those gimmicks and gadgets. I want to stay here and I want to teach the Word of God. And so a pastor teacher must be a teacher of the Word of God. Listen, the word teacher can stand on its own. That is also a gift that is given to the church. And there are many of you here who are wonderful teachers. And you can teach and use your gift that, that God has given you to teach. But, as, but all of you who teach and have that gift can teach. But a pastor must be a teacher. You cannot be a pastor and not a teacher of the Word of God. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, says, Timothy says, Let the, let the pastors, let the, those, the elders, but it really means pastors there, who rule be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard, who work hard at preaching and teaching. That verse explains the very function of what a pastor teacher ought to be. It defines the very essence of a teaching shepherd. And so in reality, a pastor teacher is the one who today leads the church that he has called it to. And he stays there teaching. He's not an evangelist. So to do as verse 12 tells us to do. We teach the body of Christ so as to equip one another. That's my call. It's my responsibility. So that you and I might do the work of service that God's called us to do. So that we might assist in building up the body of Christ as it says in verse 12. Paul said to Timothy, Timothy whom Paul led to Christ, Timothy being a younger man. He said, therefore, my son, in first, I'm second Timothy chapter two, verses one and two, he said, therefore, my son, he says, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And he says, and the things which you, you, Timothy, have heard from me, Paul says, me, Timothy, 
in the presence of many faithful witnesses and trust these to faithful men who will be able to teach them to others. And so we see four generations. Paul to Timothy to faithful people to others. And that's the call that we have. That example has been given for, for us to pass along the gift of evangelism and the gift of pastor-teacher. The gift of apostle, the gift of prophet, that was a one-time gift for a one-time purpose, to lay the rock-solid foundation of this church. I can't speak to other churches, to this church. And we will follow the teaching of the apostles and the prophets at this church, and we won't vary from what they established. The other two ministries, the other two gifts were evangelists and pastor-teachers. And those can be duplicated. Those can be passed along. Those are gifts that we should build up within the body. You and I should try to seek people here who are wonderful teachers and try to lead them to see if they have a calling upon their heart to become a pastor-teacher. It is a tremendous gift that God has given to the church that we would equip one another that we would learn what is our gift so that we might serve our Lord, so that we might build up the most precious gift that has ever been given to us, and that is the body of Christ. I can't wait to see what's going to happen to this church. I, I'm excited about where we're going. Six years, look at what God has done for us. I can only imagine. In fact, we ought to sing that song. I can only imagine. I can only imagine what God is going to do in the in the weeks, and the months, and the years to come. Pray. Pray that God will really bless us. Pray that you'll be a part of that blessing. That you will not be a spectator, but a part of the building up of God's wonderful body. Father in heaven, thank you so much. Just cannot even begin to explain, Father God, uh, the gratitude that... That, that I have in my heart, and I'm sure that each of us have, for what you have done here in these six years. I pray that we'll be as faithful as we could possibly be to your teaching, to your foundation that you have laid, and that we'll be faithful, Father God, to do as you've called us to do. I'm going to try, Father, with all of my heart, with every every bit of me, I'm going to try to encourage us to be this type of church. We will follow, Father God, as best we know how, the, the foundation that you laid through the apostles and prophets who came before us. And for those of us who may be evangelists or any pastor teachers in our midst, may we be faithful to build upon that foundation that was laid by you and them some 2,000 years ago. Father, thank you so much for who you are. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I love you folks so very much. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks.